Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Rob Clement. We're talking with Erica Birdsman in just a few seconds. She is a certified financial analyst and a, the vice president of uh, research and director of trading and research. And uh, Erica, you always are welcome on this program, lady. You just do a great job. Thank you for being with us, and uh, welcome to the program. Good morning. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I've got a couple of questions, and I know what we're looking at is some some real ideas of what's going on with the economy and the market. I know you had sent me something to kind of in preparation for the program that you're saying, same tune but different song. Help me with that. What do you exactly mean with that? Right. Well, you know, we've seen sort of a similar pattern for the last few years where The economy seems to be gathering strength at the end of the year. But once we hit January and February, things tend to slow down. And we seem to be following that pattern again this year, although I will say that the effect is more muted than we've seen in the last um, several years. So the way that I like to think about it is the lows are getting higher and the highs are getting higher. So the general trend in the economy is still upward but it looks like we've hit a little bit of a slow patch in the data. Now, I sent you some thoughts yesterday, but I think we should talk a little bit about the payroll because that was a really great number. Yes. So that was a very positive sign for the economy. And I think that, um, you know, we are going to see a mix of data in here. Do you think what are what are you thinking of the positive signs though when you talk about the economy? I mean the, you know, we just seem to be the GDP seems to be moving. The first quarter seems to be you know kind of getting along, kind of chugging along. Do you uh, see that? What are, I guess what I'm saying is the positive things and the negatives because I'm really interested in your thoughts with that. Okay, well, first of all, your listeners need to remember that this. This recovery really hasn't been normal. Usually when you come out of a recession, especially one as deep as the one that we had, you'd see the economy growing at 3 4 5%, at least for a year or two, to really kind of make up for some of that lost growth. This recovery has been different. The economy has really struggled to grow, um, you know, more than 2 2.5%. And in fact, even though it felt pretty strong at the end of last year, economic growth was revised downward to 2.2% for the fourth quarter. So we're not really seeing that sustained momentum. But as you pointed out, we are seeing some really positive signs. And a big um, component of that is the labor market. The employment picture really does continue to improve. And you can see that the economy is starting to soak up some of that labor slack. And most of your listeners are concerned first about, do I have a job? But the second thing that they're concerned about is, are my wages going up? Am I going to earn more this year? And we've seen the jobs recover. We've had um, job creation at more than 200000 a month for the last 12 months. The last four out of the last five, the economy has created more than 250,000 jobs. So job growth is there. But we haven't seen... Um, the kind of solid wage growth that we normally see. Um, but wages are growing, and it does seem like we see some early signs that wage growth is increasing. But, but Erica, when you talk about wage growth is increasing, it's really not increasing enough for us to see the hourly earnings being pushed up. Is that That's kind of the issue that we're faced with, isn't it? Right. 
wages are growing at a couple percent a year, and that just doesn't feel great to people. Hmm. Um, it's pretty subdued. But saying that, gas prices are lower. Consumers are more confident. We're starting to see people use their credit cards a little bit more, for better or for worse. And um, we are seeing, you know, broad-based economic measures that the Fed produces showing some strength, again, where the lows are getting higher. So it seems like the trend is, is pretty solid in terms of um, a positive uptrend. What do you see for the negatives then? If we're looking, well, un- that's a good point. The positives look a little bit good, but the negatives. Well, right. and also, it- unfortunately, there's always two sides to the story. And um, while consumers are really benefiting from lower oil prices, and we think that net net, that's going to be a positive for the economy. It is depressing investment spending. A lot of the capital spending in the United States over the last few years had been growing to building it had been. Um, targeted to building out our energy infrastructure, especially in in um, oil and gas production. And, you know, these lower oil prices just make it uneconomic to do the same level of investment that people had planned for the prior year. So we're seeing oil and gas companies cut their spending plans by anywhere from 25 to 50%, and that's hurting in the near term. In addition... The United States has sort of been a standout in terms of our economic growth over the last couple of years compared to the rest of the world. And it seems like the rest of the world, outside of Europe, surprisingly, which seems to be showing some strength, most of the world is is really softening in here. And so we're not getting the help um, from global growth that we might see normally in a recovery. So when you talk about, Rob, I guess what she's saying, when you talk about, I mean, it's terrible for me to try to interpret this, we've got some positive things in the economy. The consumer is beginning to feel a little more relaxed, Erica, and that's kind of what I hear you saying. But the reality is uh, it may be because of weaker oil prices, which is good. And, and I guess the other side of it is there's just the negative is the rest of the world's not following suit. Is Erica, is that what you're telling us? That's true. And I think that... Um you know, the whole world is dealing with some pretty big secular trends that um, are sort of creating some headwinds. The population is aging. The average consumer in the whole world is aging. They they spend less. They want to save more. Um, that has the effect of, of not really jump-starting growth. And at the same time, you know, most economies suffered from the same problem that the United States did, that we just had too much debt going into the last recession. And the U.S. has been more successful in reducing our debt than many places around the world, and that continues to be a very significant drag. Hey, Erica, Rob here. I uh, I was reading some things about the from the Society of Actuaries, and I see that the average 65-year-old male here life expectancy is increased from 21.6 years now to where they're saying they're, they are going to live to 86.6 years. And the same is true for females, that uh, the life expectancy has grown up from uh, 23.8 years now to 88.8 years. So uh, how does that impact us? Well, you know, it's a good thing because I think people are living longer with a better quality of life. But I think that you guys have your work cut out for you in helping people pl- 
plan for the future and plan for their retirement and financial future because with interest rates so low, it's really hard to save. Um, Not only do you have to save more because you're going to live longer, but it's harder to do because you don't have the high interest rates to help you compound your savings over time. So I do think that this will continue to be a factor that sort of limits how much growth we're going to see in the economy because consumers are going to need to probably live a little bit more frugally and have to to save more for their retirement. And that's going to be happening both at a personal level but also at a governmental level. We haven't heard a lot about Social Security recently, but that will be a headline in the next 10 years as the baby boom moves into retirement. We are going to be hearing more about um, you know, whether, whether we need to readjust benefits, whether people need to supplement Social Security more with their own savings. So I do think that that's a very important trend. And I'd point out that um, this is a trend globally, too. Not only in the United States are people living longer, but that's true elsewhere. And the United States is lucky because we have a younger population than many other developed countries. And more importantly, we have more babies. We have more younger people coming into our economy than places like Germany and Italy and Japan. And and that's really healthy, and that gives us a much more stable base to provide for our elderly going forward. You know, you think about that too, Erica. That is so critical. We do have this younger base coming in, and there's this, you know, I've looked at some statistics on that too. And yet at the same time, in the in the first time in our history, according to the Census Bureau, there we've got the, the number of Americans of at least 60 years old exceeds the number of Americans that are aged 15 or less for the first time in our history. So if we are doing pretty good as a country compared to everybody else, and yet we are now seeing older, more older people than there are younger people, boy, you're right, the rest of the world, even though we are the most solid, developed economy, the uh, overall, I mean, when you look at it, the faster the growth probably will come next year of these other countries, but it's not going to be like what we've got going forward. I mean, I just think it's a lot. People have to understand that that there needs to be that consumer and that needs to be that younger group. We need to have more babies, uh, Rob. Me and not me and you, but, but somebody does. Exactly. Well, one thing that makes me more optimistic about the United States than many other developed economies is that we are a melting pot and we do attract immigrants looking for a better life. And that gives our economy much more flexibility than places like Japan, where immigration really isn't a factor in terms of their working um, age population. Well, that is absolutely, that's a, that's a tremendous, we think about that, but that is, that's melting pot mentality, and so it is extremely important. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Talk Money, our guest, Erica Birdsland, and she is the, with Advantage Capital Management, she's the Vice President of Director of Research and Trading, and she is a frequent guest of ours because she brings an enormous wealth of knowledge, and if you like this program and you want to listen to it again, just simply go to iTunes Store and uh, 
click in, you know, do the research and type in Shoemaker Financial. You can listen to the program or any other program that you've had been uh, maybe wanted to get a chance to listen to, Rob. And that's always kind of we tell a lot of people tell us that they like that part that they exactly. don't get to lead to hear the whole program, and they can kind of take that and go out and listen to. And uh, we do a good job of trying to edit. At least the person who edits <laughs> does a good job. Art does a great job of editing the program for us. Erica, I want to ask you this because I, I do think so many people. This is headlines, and it's constant, it's constant, it's constant, and everybody's saying that the Fed is going to tighten the monetary policy. And even though we got the U.S. report today and unemployment's down a little bit more, there's just, I mean, you get mixed emotions. You get some people say it's going to happen next week, and some people, I've actually had some people say, no, I think when Fed's going to stay like it is for another 12 months. And it seems like nobody can put their hand on it. What do you think? Well, I think the Fed has been pretty clear in what their intentions are. And I I think that while we don't know exactly what data will be good enough for them to feel comfortable um, raising rates, Janet Yellen has given every indication that if, if the economy stays on its current path and the data is roughly in line with what we have been seeing, that rates are going to go up in 2015. And I feel pretty good that 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 really is her intent. The one thing that's going to be very, very interesting is that the U.S. is really going to be bucking a global trend. We've had so many announcements from other central banks globally where um, central bankers around the world are lowering rates. And it's becoming almost a, a rush to see who can lower rates the most. And um, so the U.S. is going to be a little bit of an outlier, and that could constrain our flexibility because as we raise rates, that will make uh, the U.S. dollar stronger, and that will make our exports less competitive. But it's good for the consumer because that means imported goods are cheaper. So it's, um, as we were talking about earlier, there's often two sides to each piece of economic data. But I do believe that the Fed has every intention of things swim along the way they have been to raise rates this year. Yeah, and, you know, I guess, Rob, we have to look at that. It's, I mean, uh, you have to plan, and we've been planning for that for probably the last 18 months, that rates were going to go up, and we just have to understand that it doesn't happen, may not happen this week, may not happen in six months, but it, uh, there's all the indications that it is going to happen. Erica, I've got a question for you. I've noticed recently that the rig count, we talked about that a few minutes ago, with oil and gas and uh, the natural gas rigs, that the rig count in the United States has dropped 28% in 2015. We're down to 1,310 rigs. And you mentioned earlier that one of the negatives uh, for the economy has been the weaking, you know, the weaker oil prices because it, uh, it can, pre, you know, people get kind of concerned what it's doing overall. So uh, do you see this, this, Rig count being an effective way of, I mean, that's just tightening the oil supply. Is that going to eventually push oil up, in your thoughts? Oh, boy, that is a very complicated question. Oh, come on, Erica. <laughs> I got her. Good. You know, a couple of years ago, we weren't talking about oil, oil prices. We were talking about the plunge in natural gas prices. And at that time, the industry also responded by reducing rig count. In fact, rigs came down 50%. But guess what happened to natural gas production? Yeah, it went up. Went up. Yeah. It continued going up. Yep. This is really difficult to um, 
really get your finger on what exactly is going to happen to production because we have a couple of factors that go into this. One is technology improvements really have mattered in this industry. The industry has gotten smarter and smarter about how to extract uh, these resources more efficiently. So new rigs are much more productive than old rigs. So net-net, the number of rigs may, may come down, but if you're taking out older, less efficient rigs and still adding um, some newer rigs, you may not see the production effect that, that you would have predicted. The other thing that happens is most of these resource companies have access to um, rights in different fields or different parts of fields. And again, the productivity can really differ. So again, your rig count may go down, but if you're focusing away from your less productive fields and into your more productive fields to get the bigger bang for the buck, again, you may not see the production decrease that, that you think. Now saying that, these numbers have been dramatic enough that, that I, I'm confident that production will eventually come down. And um, the estimates are, you know, you should see by April, May, a little bit um, lower production. But we have an overhang right now in the oil market. Right. That's that there's been so much production in yeah. the last 12 months that, yeah. that we're going to run out of storage. Yeah. And that could have an impact on prices, too. Well, that's that's a great point. You'd never think that we'd be the storage supply of oil here in the United States, but we are running into a real problem. If you just tuned in, I'm talking with Erica Bertzland, and it's Rob Clement and myself. Well, Erica, looking at uh, the S&P 500, in the last 1,245 day, calendar days now, and this is as of March the 1st, I was looking at it, there's not been a 10% or greater drop in the index. And it's the third longest stretch without a double-digit pullback in these last 50 years. Now, that's that's from BTN Research. How does that go against volatility? Boy, you know, this has really been kind of a Goldilocks scenario for investors over the last few years. You know, as we talked about earlier, economic growth has really struggled to break out to the typical type of um, growth that we see after a recession. But we also haven't seen, um, you know, a recession either during that period of time, you know, since the financial crisis. And interest rates have, you know, been on a fairly steady downtrend. We had a little bit of a tick up in 2013, um, but interest rates are still historically very, very low. So it's been an environment that's really been supportive of not a lot of volatility in the markets. But I think what investors need to remember is that this really isn't typical. I mean, this is is kind of a very subdued environment. And I think that the level of intervention by, by central banks, not only in the United States, but globally, have really influenced the level of volatility that we see. But I think that we need to be aware that um, we're closer to the end of that road than the beginning of that road because the economy has gained some traction over the years and we may go back to a more normalized and more volatile environment than investors are used to 
given the recent past. You know, I think that's something we have to all think about. And when we do the second half of the program, we're going to talk about seven deadly sins. And for investors, Rob, and I think this is kind of what she's saying is we have to come back to the norm. I love the term Goldilocks because it's it has been kind of a mindset of a fairy tale with this insight of the market seems to just go up. And I, I've been around long enough to remember some of those other times. And then when it does correct, everybody panics and everybody runs. And reality is we've got to avoid that. Erica, in summary, we've got about 40 seconds here. Tell me a little bit. Uh, what do you see? What do you think? What would you like to tell our listeners? Well, I do think that we should be respectful of some of the thematic changes that are happening in both the U.S. and global economy. And it wouldn't surprise me if we did see some higher volatility because of the fact that the Fed has gone from an easing cycle to more of a raising rates mentality. Um, The big change in oil prices is something that the economy is struggling to sort of absorb and adjust for. We have the dollar strengthening. There are a lot of things going on right now that could create a little bit more volatility than people are used to. So, you know, people need to really have a long-term plan, and they need to to stick with it in here. Well, I, I like what she says. Have a long-term plan and stick to it. Volatility is not a fantasy world. It is the real world. What we've been in the last 24 months has been more fantastic. You know, fantasy, fantastic, but it's been a little bit of a fantasy right. world. So, so reality is we have to think about uh, the, the long-term plan. If you've been listening to us, Erica Birdson, she is a certified financial analyst with Adventus Capital Management and the vice president and director of research and trading and does a wonderful job and is always one of our best guests. Thank you so much for being a part of the program today, Erica. Have a great end to your week. All right, lady. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Okay. All right. I've had a great time. Rob Clement, you did a great job with me this morning. I appreciate it, sir. You're listening to Talk Money here on AM 990. You can like us on Facebook. We'd appreciate it if you do that. Or find us at iTunes, simply by searching Shoemaker Financial. Again, we thank those people that were involved, Erica Burslin, Rob Clement, the producer and board operator of today's program, Art Frederick, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistants, Eleanor Moskovitz and Katie Brashear, and compliance officer, my good friend, Jeff Long, does a great job for us. Mid-South History Moment is uh, recorded by Rebecca Brasher and written by Drew Johnson. I am Jim Shoemaker. I want to tell everybody at Briarcrest High School and Germantown High School, thank you guys. Got one more week to go. Appreciate all you do for us. All right, we're going to see who wins next week. We'll have them as on, the, on the radio to talk with them and about their great investment knowledge. It's been a good program. Thank you so much. We're here every Friday helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Rob Clement, and Bill Reginald are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.